Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And that's what we try to do here on every installment of the Double-Edged Sword program. And um, on this installment, I was going to try to, you know, kind of take a look at this idea of secularism, uh, you know, kind of a secular worldview as opposed to a religious worldview. Um, I think a secular worldview might be possible, although I think by the time we do a little bit of digging around here, we might find that it, while it might be possible, it's probably pretty rare, if not almost impossible, as opposed to a religious worldview. And um, by a religious worldview, I would mean, you know, in the sake of the Christian religious worldview, we would say, well, a Christian religious worldview says that God made the world and that um, through divine law, we know such things such as that we should not kill and that we should honor our parents and that we shouldn't steal other people's stuff. Those are things that are revealed to us in the Ten Commandments. Although a lot of times, you know, the Ten Commandments, those are all pretty much common sense because it seems like God's kind of hardwired that stuff into us. I don't know that we necessarily need to have a Bible or, um, again, a moral authority like Moses to, to tell us that we should not commit adultery, although a lot of people do. We probably don't need a moral authority to tell us that we should tell the truth, mostly because I think it's, if, if we look, for, look at ourselves, you know, I don't want someone committing adultery with my spouse. I don't want someone stealing my stuff. I don't want someone beating me up or trying to kill me. I don't want someone lying to me. And so since I don't want those things done um, to me, you know, the old idea of the old social contract, you know, I won't do it to you if you don't do it to me, you know, and if you tell me the truth, I'll tell you the truth. And if you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you and things like that. And so some of this stuff, you know, it's just been kind of, you know, again, from a Christian worldview, we would say, well, of course, it's been hardwired into our minds by God, the same God that gave us, you know, 10 toes and 10 fingers and two eyes also, you know, etched it into our hearts and souls, you know, a, you know, a basic program for living, you know, that includes such things as respecting other people's property and lives and certain limits on our sexual behavior and, you know, telling the truth and things like that. But there are other things that you definitely have to, that would have to be revealed to us by God, because otherwise we would never get this stuff. And so when the Son of God, when Jesus Christ comes to earth and tells us to do such things as love our enemies and pray for our persecutors, see, that isn't, that isn't human nature. We, w- we wouldn't figure that out unless you had a greater moral authority saying, no, this is what I want you to do. You know, the idea of feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the sick and the imprisoned and so on, you know, those things that we, the, the corporate works of mercy that we read about in Matthew 25 when Jesus talks about the end of the world and, you know, people being judged on to the extent that what they did to the least of his brothers. See, some of those things I think have to be taught to us. Because I might see someone that's hungry and go, well, better him than me. At least I got plenty of food. You know, I might see someone that, you know, is cold because they haven't got enough clothes. And I might say, well, tough. They, you know, they can go out to get a job. I, that's what I did. I'm plenty warm, you know, and so on. And so we, we, we need a, sometimes, you know, you need a, a higher um, moral spiritual authority, in this case, the Son of God himself, to come in and say, this is what we should do. Now, 
the thing is, is that, you know, the, 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 the huge experiment in this, which has largely failed, and it's just amazing how you have all these, you know, social and, you know, almost kind of political experiments that people try, and they fail miserably, and that people, people still keep going back to them. And I think, you know, the, the, the first time we saw, you know, the, the attempt to have a purely secular state on a huge scale was with the French Revolution. And um, that, again, that started off, you know, because people in France were disgusted with the three estates. Um, you know, the three estates were, you know, the, the, the royalty, and then, then the second estate was the clergy, and the third estate was, you know, kind of, the, you know, just the, the people at large. And, um, and the people at large got tired of, of the, the royalty and the clergy taking the best of the best and leaving them with the crumbs. And so they show up and storm the Bastille, you know, with, with their pitchforks and torches and, and, you know, hauled off the, you know, the, the king and the queen, you know, good old Marie Antoinette and Louis Fourteenth and so on, and chopped their heads off. And um, did the same thing with a bunch of, of, of bishops, priests, and, and, and clergy and nuns. And, um, and so then, you know, you have the, this group of people coming in and saying, okay, you know, we're, not, we're done with religion. We're not going to have any more religion. You know, we're just going to have reason. And in fact, um, you know, the great cathedral of Notre Dame, you know, in, in France was renamed the Temple of Reason. And, you know, they got rid of all the, you know, the Blessed Mother and Our Lord and, you know, the saints and so on. And, and, and you know, they had they, instead they had, you know, they paid tribute to logic and reason and intellect, you know, and things like that, thinking they could have a totally secular society. Well, then in the revolution, this is making a very, very long story short. The French Revolution is a fantastic thing to read about. There's a lot of stuff in there. Tells us a lot about human nature, not much of it good. In that, um, what happened as the revolution went on, you know, you had these people with this secular mindset, but then if you didn't buy into the powerful persons, you know, you had certain people within the revolution who became powerful, and if you didn't buy into their particular version or their particular understanding of the revolution, well, then the guillotine came out and you got your head chopped off too. And so very quickly, the, you know, the revolution turned, you know, turned very violent and very bloody against the very people they thought they were going to try to liberate you know, from, from the, the estates of, of, the, of the royalty and, and of the clergy. And so again, that didn't work out so hot. But the point, though, is, is that, you know, we have, you know, in our times, we have, you know, this idea that, well, you know, if we just had this totally secular state um, without any religion in it, without any spiritual dimension to it, that that would be that everyone would be better served by that. And I want to be very clear from the get go here. I am not. What am I not doing? I am not proposing that we have some kind of a theocracy where, you know, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism or, you know, whatever, Satanism, you know, whoever happens to get in. I'm not saying that we have that we that we chuck the American idea of the separation of church and state and how there can be no religious litmus tests, you know, that we have we supposedly have a, have a strong um, tradition in this country of, of, of just judging people on, you know, for public office, it's like, well, can they do the job or not? We don't really care what religion they are. In fact, we do. Um, and that's the, big, that's the big hypocrisy and the big lie that I'm going to expose here in a little bit. But supposedly that's the ideal. And, um, and I think that's the way we should go. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I am not saying that, um, you know, that the local bishop should be the local governor. I'm not saying that, that we should have a theocracy. But what I am saying is, is I think that a lot of people in the name of secularism have, have de facto put in a theocracy. They put in their own theocracy, but they call it secularism and as a way to kind of insulate themselves from any kind of criticism. 
And um, this is this is kind of what I want to pick apart. One of the um, kind of the the anthem I think of secularism that um, a lot of people really like is John Lennon's song "Imagine," and um, and we'll, we'll we'll play a little couple little clips of that for you here for a second, and just kind of let you hear what John Lennon says. Again, this is just in the, in the interest of total transparency. I am not a Beatles fan. I have never been a Beatles fan. Um, some of you who are Beatles fans, God love you, you know. But I think what what it really kind of comes down to is. I noticed this when I was teaching school. <clears throat> I taught high school for over 10 years. Is that, you know, as we're, you know, we're born, we're little kids, and we learn things like how to ride a bicycle, how to pull a little red wagon around, and, you know, light fireworks on the 4th of July. And all this stuff is new to us because the world is new because we're young and we, you know, we never experienced this stuff before. And then, you know, when you get kind of get your coming of age years of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and you start to really kind of engage the world and really start to ask questions and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where we as individuals fit in the world, um, by that, by the time we get to that particular part of our life, there is already a culture that's moving full speed ahead. And part of our growing up, I think, is us trying to catch up with it. It's like running around a merry-go-round. You know, you're, you're running, you're running, you run until you can jump on the merry-go-round and go go at the same speed of the merry-go-round. Or, you know, if you got a, a trailer behind a truck or something and, you know, like a float in a parade or something and you run up behind it and you run up to the, you get to the same speed of the, of the trailer and you jump on, okay? Well, I think what happens is a lot of our growing up is getting ourselves up to speed with what's going on with, with the culture that's been going before we were born and then we jump on and get going. And so then whatever is whatever the culture is, you know, going on in the culture at the time, that's new to us. And it's exciting. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's just part of growing up. I don't I'm not going to sit there and say there's, you know, it's just the way it is. Now, you know, some things in the culture are pretty bad news. But, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, stuff that you sort of grow up and get used to. And so I think what happened was, you know, during the 60s. You know, when you had all, you know, all that chaos and stuff going on then, and then in my never-to-be-humble opinion, the stupidest statement ever uttered by a human being, don't trust anyone over 30. And, of course, all those people that said that are now in their 70s, you know, so it's really kind of a stupid thing to say. But nonetheless, you know, the, you know, the Beatles kind of came along at a time when a whole bunch of people were kind of coming into their own, you know, as, as young people. And so if it, if it hadn't been the Beatles, it, you know, it might have been the Ladybugs. I don't know. It would have been somebody else. You know, who, who knows? So, you know, everybody thinks, you know, the Beatles, oh, man, this is so deep. No, they're not. You know, you give them another 200 years and they'll be gone. They'll still be playing Mozart. They'll still be playing Beethoven and Bach and the Beatles will be a footnote to history, just like a lot of popular entertainment is. But one of the things that, you know, since you have a lot of these people that don't trust anybody over 30 crowd that are now in their 60s and 70s and they're desperately trying to keep their legacy of their youth alive, one of the things that everybody always harkens back to is all this stuff by the Beatles. And one of them is a, is a, less, is a song by John Lennon called Imagine. And I mean, it's kind of turned into the, what would you call it, kind of the anthem of the secular movement. And so um, we're, we're going to listen to a couple of verses of that and then we'll come back. Below us 
Okay, so there's John Lennon's vision. You know, John Lennon thinking, you know, again, this is a very, you know, that people would think, oh, yeah, this is the secular dream, you know, nothing to kill or die for, no religion to all the people living life in peace. Well, so people, you know, he, he's going to sit there and say there would be no religion and that the, the fact that there would be no religion, that would allow everybody to live in peace. And in fact, you know, we hear this all the time. College students hear it all the time that, well, yeah, you know, if there wasn't religion, we wouldn't have all these wars. All the wars are fought over religion. Have there been wars fought over religion? There certainly have. But there's a couple of things about that. Number one, which, I mean, for, certainly for Christianity, Christianity does, does not celebrate war. Um, Christianity grudgingly accepts that sometimes it might be necessary, as evidenced by St. Augustine's just war theory. But nowhere does, does Christianity, again, in, in Christianity, you can go to heaven for dying for your faith. It's called a martyr. But nowhere has Christianity ever promised you to go to heaven for killing for your faith. All right. And so um, there, there's, a, there's a huge difference there. So this idea that, you know, the, the wars are caused by religion, you go back to the 20th century, the bloodiest century in the history of mankind, where, you know, hundreds of millions of people were slaughtered in cold blood by the likes of, you know, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, the Khmer Rouge, Ho Chi Minh, you know, all, the, all these people. They, they were all communist atheists. You know, these, these, weren't, these were not religious people. They were certainly not Christian people. Some of them started out as Christian. You know, Joseph Stalin used to be, you know, Russian Orthodox, and, um, and Hitler, you know, was born and baptized a Catholic. But they abandoned their faith in, in, the favor, in favor of what they thought was secularism and what they thought was atheism. And as a result of that, you look at Mao Zedong in China and the, the, the millions of people that died under, under his leadership. And again, he's a communist atheist. And so, you know, the first thing that I think that we really have to kind of, you know, grab by the horns here and, you know, push into the ground is this idea that religion is the cause of all of all this war and violence, which is not. The cause of the of the greater part of the of the war and violence is you know, atheism and secularism and people's attempts at secularism, again, the guillotine from the French Revolution, and then the times when there have been religious people, Christian people, who have acted out violently in the name of their faith, they're not acting in the name of the religion. They're acting in their own name, you know, because they're not supposed to do that. The Catechism and the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus do not teach us to go out and do harm to others in the name of our religion. If somebody does that, you know, they bear that, they bear that responsibility for themselves. But... The thing, what I want to try to get to here then is, again, this basic, you know, the, the first thing is, the first, you know, piece that we want to tear apart is this idea that, well, you know, religion is the cause of all this, all this, you know, violence and things like that. Like old John Lennon says, well, again, I think you smoke enough pot, you can make anything sound good. But again, imagine there's no country, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You know, well, there again, you've got this anthem of the secularist right there. And, um, and so the, the first thing that, that, again, that I want to, you know, kind of waylay is this idea that, that religion is somehow the cause of all the killing. You know, have there been people who have killed the name religion? Yes, there have. Have there been people to this day who have killed the name religion? Yes, there have. But number one, again, in Christian land, they don't have the backing of the Christian faith to do it. The Muslims, that's a different story. They kill all the time in the name of their faith, and that's part of what they do. So the first piece is, is even though there have been religious people who have killed in the name of their faith, Christian people, 
they don't have the backing of the Christian faith to do it, point one. And point two, the vast, vast majority of, of the mass, you know, murder and, 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 and you know, just extinction of human life, um, especially in, in the 20th century, was done by communist atheists. It wasn't done by people of faith. And so, you know, that's just a matter of history, and no one can really argue with that. If they do, they don't know their history. So that's kind of the first piece I want to take apart. But the second piece is this, and that is all these people that are claiming that, you know, to have some kind of a secular, uh, you know, want, want to have a secular mindset, thinking that, well, if we just get religion out of things altogether, things are going to be better. I am prepared to argue that that itself is a religious argument. Okay, and, uh, and so you'll, you'll hear words in our day and age, things like doctrine and dogma. You know, people don't. Oh, that's too dogmatic. That's doctrinal. You know, we're brainwashing these people with doctrines. They're not being taught to think for themselves. They're not being taught free thinking, and so on. Well, again, let's just kind of pick that apart and look at that for a little bit. You hear this a lot in some Protestant organizations that will say, "Well, we have a free Christianity here. We're the free Christian Bible Church. We have no doctrines and no dogmas." And it's like, really? Are you sure about that? Absolutely not. No doctrines, no dogmas. And so if I want to join the, the free will Bible church, whatever you call yourselves, and I want you to codify for me what you believe so I know what I'm getting into, you will not put down on paper, you know, the, the, what, what you believe. No, no, no doctrines, no dogmas here. You're sure about that? Absolutely. You sound pretty doctrinal and dogmatic about that. You see my point? You know, people who say there are no doctrines and no dogmas, that's their doctrine. That's their dogma. Their dogma is they have no dogmas because what's a doctrine and what's a dogma? You know, dogmatic and doctrinal teachings are that which define the group. Okay, and so whenever you have a a doctrinal or or a dogmatic teaching, you know, such as we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe Jesus is the son of God. We believe the Holy Spirit proceeds from them both. We believe that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist and things like that. Those are doctrinal and dogmatic teachings that define us as a people. That's what we believe as Catholics. And so if you have someone else that comes along and says, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to get together and read the Bible and feel good about ourselves, but no doctrines, no dogmas. You know, people can believe what they want, kind of like the Universalist Unitarians or something. Well, you know, if, if people are going to sit there and say, well, in, you know, in, in our group here, people are free to believe whatever they want, fine, that's your doctrine. You know, you're not going to get very far with it because you know, there'd be nothing to hold you together. But your doctrine is people are free to believe what they want because if someone comes in and says, no, I think there should be some limits on what we believe, and there should be some guidelines and some parameters here. Well, then they'll throw you out of the group because we don't believe that. Well, then, then again, there's your doctrine and there's your dogma. So, again, when you hear people you know, going on about how, you know, oh, that, that's too doctrinal, that's too dogmatic. Well, they've got their own doctrines and dogmas as well, and just don't let them off the hook, all right? But the other one, this is a thing I got from a from, there was a, a, a column that was written by a man named Stephen Roberts. I have no idea who he is. All I know is he's a U.S. Army chaplain. And um, I downloaded this off the Internet. So, Stephen Roberts, if you're out there, God love you. You wrote an excellent piece here. And again, he's a chaplain in the Army, kind of like our own Father Charles is. And um, the, the name of his article is Everybody Has Religious Beliefs. Some people just deny it. Okay. Now. The thing is, is in, in this, you know, he's talking about how the um, how, how so like I said at the beginning of the, of the program, supposedly in the United States, you know, on the federal level, because of the Constitution, 
you know, the, you cannot have a religious litmus test. That is to say, you know, you can't have a bunch of people to get together and say, all right, you know, we're a bunch of Methodists, we're a bunch of Lutherans, we're a bunch of Episcopalians, we're a bunch of Catholics. And for you to get a job as a circuit court judge or as a Supreme Court judge or for you to be hired into, you know, the part of the government that we work for, you have to be a Methodist or you have to be a Catholic or you have to be a Jew, too. That's against federal law. You can't do that. Okay, we, we, we have this thing called, you know, you cannot have a religious litmus test. And so, you know, people just have to be judged on on their capabilities to do the, do the particular job. Well, um, the, the deal was there was a woman named Annie, Amy Coney, Amy Coney Barrett, who, who was up for a judicial appointment. And Senator Dianne Feinstein, you know, declared to her during the hearing saying, the dogma lives loudly within you referring to her strong Catholic faith. Again, this is Stephen Roberts, the U.S. Army chaplain's um, column. And so, again, you have, you have Senator Dianne Feinstein, you know, grilling this this woman who's up for a, for a federal judgeship, saying the dogma lives loudly within you. In other words, you're a Catholic, and so we really can't trust you. You know, you're a Catholic, and if you get on the bench, you know, you might, you know, issue a decision against abortion or against gay marriage or like because of your dogma, all right? And so, um, and so, so therefore, I mean, basically, with you know, in so many words, what Feinstein has, has applied there is a religious litmus test, you know, because the dogma lives loud, you loudly within you. Well, let's talk about those dogmas, okay? Again, to cite again part of Roberts's um, article here, he says, take Feinstein for example. She detects the power of dogma within another person's heart, but this Jedi mind trick is only possible because she too is guided by powerful dogmas, okay? Because, you know, Feinstein, who, who is claiming to be secular and neutral here, is also guided by powerful dogmas. Feinstein has a view of the world that guides her to believe that the absolute sanctity of a woman's body is of greater importance than the sanctity of human life. That is a moral position, not scientific or sociological. It is rooted in a religious worldview. Okay. And again, those are Stephen Roberts' words there from, from his column that he wrote. And so, again, you know, when, when you look at these various moral positions that people take, if, you know, it, a scientific question or a scientific statement would be um, at, you know, X number of days of gestation, we can detect a heartbeat. That's a scientific statement. You know, after X number of weeks um, in the womb, you know, a, an unborn child, you know, even though it's a little bit premature, can live outside the womb. That's a scientific statement. Or, you know, sociological statements such as children do better when they have a mother and a father at home. We've got tons of sociological data that back that up. You know, though, you know, that's a scientific statement. OK, but then you have but then when you cross over the line to ought okay to what we ought to do what should be available the way the world should be now you're not you know now you're crossing over the line into um, what we in, into into a worldview okay and um and so then and once you, once you get into, once you get into the, into the worldview now you're talking about a religion even the, the Supreme Court sometimes, you know, I've read a number of briefs from the Supreme Court on things, and sometimes the Supreme Court, they, they want to go back and they want to kind of lay a foundation for stuff, and they'll just go back to Webster's Dictionary and say, okay, let's go and see, what does Webster say this word means, all right? And so if we go back to Webster and look up, you know, what, what a religion is, Webster says a religion is a cause, a principle, or system of beliefs held with ardor and faith, Okay. 
a cause, a principle, or a system of beliefs held with ardor and faith. Ardor meaning, you know, a you know a burning heart, a burning desire. You know, in other words, you know, people are willing to go to the mat for this stuff. You know, maybe even go to war over it. Sad to say, okay but also held with faith because sometimes, you know, these things really can't be proven empirically. And, and so, you know, you, the people just believe it because they believe it. And so, um, you know, the, the deal is, is, is again, as, as um, Robert says in his, in his article here, he says, every person has a deeply held belief system concerning why the world is the way it is and how we are to live in response. This belief system or worldview is a religion. At root, it what's what gives rise to our to our views regarding everything, including politics. All right. Now, again, this isn't supposed to be a political show, so I'm not really going to go down that road. I don't really want to, but it is a religious show. And so, you know, for example, when you know a, a scientific fact would be, um, you know, a young school age person, you know, a, a fifth grader um, needs a certain number of calories a day to fuel their little body to get them through the day of, you know, they're running around like maniacs and going to school and studying and all those things. They need a certain amount of food. And they need a certain number of calories and a certain amount of water and things like that. That would be a scientific statement. Okay, now, but to say, therefore, we have an obligation. We ought to make sure that every child has enough food to eat. See, then, you, then we've crossed over into the, into the realm of morality. Then we've crossed over to the realm of religion. Okay, or again, to go back to use the the abortion debate to sit there and say, well, you know, at a certain at X number of weeks, we know this about an unborn child at a certain number of weeks. We detected a heartbeat at a certain number of weeks. We detect brainwave activity at a certain number of weeks. You know, the child can respond to these stimuli at a certain number of weeks. The child can actually survive outside the womb, even though, you know, we need to be better leave them in there for the full nine months, whatever. So those are all scientific, you know, statements. But when you say, you know, every woman ought to have the right to make her own health care decisions over her own body and all that, you know, abortion doublespeak, well, then you've crossed over the line into morals, okay? Then you've crossed over the line into a religion. And so when you look at the way that, um, you know, when you, if you look at the, at the abortion crowd, you look at the same-sex marriage crowd and ask yourself, you look at the same-sex marriage crowd, is not same-sex marriage for them a cause, a principle, or system of beliefs held with ardor and faith? Okay. I mean, you know, these people are willing to go out and protest and make, you know, raise all kinds of, you know, all kinds of, of, of ruckus for their right to have a so-called same-sex marriage. That's a religion. Okay, that that, you know, someone should have the right to, you know, I should have the right to marry the person that I love. You know, that's that's not a that's not a, a, a legal statement. That's a religious statement. All right. And so um, and it's the same thing when you have the you know, have all these people saying, well, it's the woman's body. It's her right to choose. And, you know, she should have the right to do what she wants with her body. That is a cause, principle or system of belief held with ardor and faith. Okay, those are not scientific statements. And so, again, you know, in the first part of the program here, again, the thing I want to just try to show is that all these people that are claiming to be a religious or or maybe even atheistic or anti-religious or whatever. No, they, they have a religion. 
Okay, they have a religious worldview that's every bit as religious as the Christian worldview. They just don't want to call it that because by claiming to be secular, they're they're claiming you know kind of a degree of of objectivity um, that they think they have, which which in fact they do not have. So that pretty much does it for the first half of the program. We'll take a little break now and hear from the folks that sponsor our programming here. So everybody, sit tight, and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindenburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And the great deception or lie that we're cutting to the heart of today is the, the, the great deception or the lie that somehow or another that it's possible to have a secular worldview, to have a worldview that is not religious. And um, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of them teach on college campuses, a lot of them, you know, try to sit on the, you know, on the judge's bench, a lot of them, you know, are, are, um, are, are in, in, in government and so on, trying to sit there and say, well, you know, no, I don't have a religious worldview. My worldview is not conditioned by religion. It's totally secular. Well, their worldview might not be conditioned by Christianity. Um, Their worldview might not be conditioned by Judaism. Their worldview might not be conditioned by Islam. Their worldview might not be conditioned by Buddhism or Hinduism or one of the world's big religions. But if they have a worldview, it's religious. That's my whole point. That's the point we we made in the the first part of the program. And I base that on the Webster's definition of religion, where Webster says a religion is a cause, a principle or a system of beliefs held with ardor and faith. You know, again, ardor meaning, you know, they're dead serious about it. They're, you know, they're not something that's not something they're going to let go of. And also a certain degree of faith, because, again, you look at the at the various things that, that people propose that if, if, if we say, again, scientifically, that, well, we know that people need a certain amount of food each day. OK, that's a scientific statement. You don't eat, you're going to starve to death and die. We know that. We also probably have a pretty good idea of how much food we need and how and, you know, where, you know, where those calories should come from as far as coming from fat and sugar and, you know, starch and carbohydrate and things like that. We know that as well. That's all scientific stuff. But then when you cross the line and say, therefore, we should provide food to those that need it. Well, now you're going into a worldview, a cause or a principle or a system of beliefs held with ardor and faith that this is the way the world should be. And anyone, anytime someone comes up and says, my ability to explain why the world is the way it is and how we are to live in response, that's called a religion. And again, I'm getting this from a man named Stephen Roberts, who is a U.S. Army chaplain who wrote a brilliant little essay called Everyone Has Religious Beliefs. Some people just deny it. 
And so um, the when you, when you look at such things as um, you know he you know we talked about abortion, and again um, um, Chaplain Roberts, I don't know what his rank would be, he's probably a captain or something. He says it is not just our views on abortion that are rooted in religion. Politicians claim to want to help the poor. Sociological analyses and economic studies may help the politicians in that quest, but the quest to start with the claim we ought to help the poor is a moral claim rooted in a view of the world, a religion. Fiscal policy is rooted in religion. Money is a reflection of morality. Every dollar spent says something about what you value in the world. The same holds true of government. Likewise, foreign policy is a reflection of one's view of the world. The human person and our moral obligation to the world and our fellow person. Suffice it to say, there is not a single issue that is amoral or a religious. And again, I think he's right on, on right on target with that. Because if that's if that's the case, then no one can claim the high ground of moral neutrality, all right? And so, again, at the, you know, at the beginning, we saw that, you know, that, um, again, that um, the chaplain Stephen Roberts, he was, he was singling out um, Senator Dianne Feinstein when she was grilling Amy Comey Barrett as a potential um, federal judge and said, you know, the dogma lives loudly within you. And again, Feinstein taken down this woman because she was a devout Catholic. Well, the thing of it is, Senator Feinstein, you know, the dogma cries loudly in you, too. You're in no position to sit back and say, well, you know, I'm secular. I'm totally objective on this because I'm not going to have my worldview colored by the Catholic faith. Fine. Don't have your worldview Catholic by the, colored by the Catholic faith. But by virtue of the fact that you have a worldview and by virtue of the fact that you're saying the world should be a certain way, and that's why I'm only going to vote for certain judges, that is a religious worldview. And there's no getting around it. All right. Again, the, the chaplain goes on to say such a hollow position has been utilized for too long to fit false notions of religious liberty against the very religious adherents who need that liberty the most. Politicians who criticize other politicians or, ju- or judicial nominees for their dogmatism are either growing mostly ignorant of their own biases or dogmas, willfully deceptive or both. That is worth repeating. Politicians, and this, is, and this also would also include college professors and, you know, TV hosts and things like that. Anyone who criticizes, I'm going to paraphrase some, some Stephen Roberts's words here a little bit, but uh, I think he would probably go along with it. Anyone who criticizes anyone else for their dogmatism are either grossly ignorant of their own dogmatism, willingly deceptive, or both. All right. And so, again, if you're, you know, you're getting ready to go off to, to college and so on, and, you know, you find your your professor um, attacking your Catholic faith for being dogmatic, it's like, well, professor, let's talk about your dogmas, okay? Because, you know, if he's going to sit there and say, well, in my class, you know, we're, we're not going, you know, no Bible, no religion. Okay, then that's your dogma. That's your worldview. Your worldview is no religion and no Bible. Okay, fine. But that in and of itself is a religious worldview because it meets the criteria of a religion, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held with ardor and faith. Because, again, when, you, when it says it's held with ardor, Ardor just means again, like I said, that's very it's it's important to me, and I'm willing to go to the mat for it. But then, what about when it, you know Webster says it's held with faith? All right, because what do we mean by faith? Well, again, faith means that which we you know that which we cannot see, but we believe it anyway, and because we have good reason for believing it. And I think there's a, there's a reason for that. Philosopher Peter Kraft um, says that you know we have three eyes. Um, we have the eye of the body, which sees shapes and colors and forms and things like that, and it, it sees those things. Then we have the eye of the mind, which sees with reason. Okay, and um, this is one of the reasons why. 
For example, when you have um, foreign students that come to the United States, and I imagine you know if you have American students that go to you know China or something like that. You might have a Chinese person here that's having a terrible time with English, but they can still do algebra and calculus, okay? Because because mathematics is is pure reason, it's pure logic, and that's the language of the mind, at least of a, of a discipline and a good mind. And so um, the same thing. I suppose someone goes over to China, they might not be able to do their Mandarin Chinese or the or the hoot, but they can still you know grind out an equation or factor an equation or something like that, because the eye of the mind is reason. But then you have the heart, and when I talk about the heart, I'm not talking about you know sad to say, whenever you use the same thing to describe two different things, you end up with confusion. By heart, I'm not talking about, oh, pitter-patter, flutter-flutter, and this is how I feel. By heart, I'm using, you know, kind of the, the, the Latin term of it, of core, meaning at our core, where everything comes together, where our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions, our experience, where everything comes together to make who and what we are, okay? The eyes of our heart, the eyes of that core are faith, all right, because we have to be able to assume certain things are true without having seen them for ourselves. You know, I have to be able to assume that the Eiffel Tower exists. I've never seen it. I've never been there. I've seen pictures of it. But I suppose if I wanted to be obnoxious, I could say, well, somebody, you know, made a little model of an Eiffel Tower out of matchsticks and then interposed it on a, on a, on a photograph or photoshopped it in there to make me think there's an Eiffel Tower. Well, you'd be a moron, okay? Um, but the thing is, I'm taking it on faith that there's such a thing as an Eiffel Tower. I'm taking it on faith there's such a place as Africa. I've never been to Africa before. And so, you know, there, there's all kinds kinds of things that we take on faith. And so and then there's nothing wrong with that. So that's just kind of the way the way things work out. But nonetheless though, that um, if if our definition of religion is a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held with ardor and faith. You know, when, when you look at, um, at these statements like a woman should have the right to do whatever she wants with her body, um, that's, a, that's a moral position taken, you know, then these people definitely have the ardor. They're definitely dead serious about it. But also it's, 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 it's something taken on faith, um, especially when there's all kinds of, of evidence the contrary showing us that, you know, abortion is terribly harmful to women. Of course, it's deadly to the child. And so the, these people that, that demand this stuff and, and, and insist on this stuff in spite of the evidence. You talk about people acting on, on faith and not on evidence. You know, it's, it's those folks. And so, again, you know, the, the whole point of this particular installment of Double-Edged Sword is to remind people that, you know, and again, as, as Stephen Roberts says here, don't let people, you know, get away with this idea of trying to tell you that, well, you know, I have a secular worldview. You know, I'm like John Lennon. You know, imagine there is no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to imagine all the people living life in peace. Well, you know, that worldview, Johnny boy, I hate to break it to you. Um, that's what brought about the murder of a couple hundred million people in the 20th century. And so, and why people still think that's some, you know, some um, ideal we're striving for, I just do not know. So the idea is, is, um, Again, when Roberts goes on to talk about things like tolerance, again, this is from, from his article. He says, true tolerance in a pluralistic age requires us to respect a diversity of religious worldviews as they all contribute to the common purpose of governance. To suppress these worldviews that are deemed odious is not the, is not the essence of tolerance, but of tyranny. All right. So, again, look at all the people that talk about tolerance all the time. And you'll find that the people that yell tolerance the loudest tend to be the most intolerant people you would ever meet. Um, look 
at the people that demand that you be open-minded. Well, open-minded means agree with me because, you know, all the people that claim to be open-minded are actually the most closed-minded people you're ever going to meet, all right? And so, um, and again, well, what, what, what Roberts is saying here in his article is that, um, you know, in, in fact, you know, when, when people take their religiously held, you know, beliefs and their religiously conditioned responses to their worldview, and they take that with them onto the judge's bench. They take that with them into the state house or, you know, into the legislature and so on. Again, they're not legislating, you know, they're not turning things into a theocracy. They're saying, according to my worldview, I want to see people not go hungry. According to my worldview, I want to see children have a chance to be born and so on. Um, they're not they're not imposing a religion on anybody in, in any more than the people that are saying the opposite. You know, any, they're not imposing a religion any more than someone that says, no, it's a woman's right to choose and she can kill her baby whenever she wants because that's her choice. That's a religious worldview. That's a moral view. That's not a scientific view. That's not a secular view. OK, that's the whole point of all this. And again, so Roberts goes on to say the irony of all this is that such religious intolerance itself rooted in a religious worldview actually accomplishes the opposite of what it seeks. By assailing theocrats and attempting to impose their morality on others, this view ends up creating its own brand of theocracy. Supposedly, secular saints will thrive in such a system until they too are deemed to be religious by the next set of theocrats. Okay? So, in other words, what's going to happen here? And I hate to quote a guy named Karl Marx um, because, again, he's responsible for all kinds of murders as well. But Marx said in his Communist Manifesto, he said that given the chance, the oppressed very quickly become the oppressors. Okay, and there's other people that have written about this as well. When you read um, Animal Farm, you know, in Animal Farm, one of the things that happened in that book was you, know, you had you know, the pigs and the horses and the chickens and the cows and everybody and they, 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 they run the farmer off the land and um, the pigs are the ones that, that kind of take over and um, the, the, one of the, some of the rules were is that animals were not supposed to walk on two feet um, they were not supposed to wear clothes and they were not supposed to sleep in a bed and um, before too long the pigs are doing all that well then the horses come up and the horses kind of represent the, you know, the working man and they say hey pigs what the heck's the deal here we thought you weren't supposed to walk on two feet, which the pigs were doing, and we're not supposed to wear clothes, and they were wearing the farmer's clothes, and they weren't supposed to sleep in a bed. Well, they found out the farmer's bed was pretty comfortable, and um, and the pigs go, well, you know, yeah, all animals are equal, just some animals are more equal than others. And in, and in fact, you know, what Stephen Roberts here is saying is the same thing, that when you have people that get up and say, no, we can't go down the, you know, we, you know again, like Diane Feinstein, you know, we, you know, your, your dogma, you know, the dogma lives loudly within you, okay, so so here you have Feinstein with her with her religious worldview taking on, you know, taking on this judicial nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, who's a who's a devout Catholic. So you got Feinstein taking her on and saying, no, you know, your world, your religious worldview is not welcome here. And without saying it, you know, Feinstein saying, well, no, my religious worldview is what's going to rule the day. Well, good for you, Feinstein. But the problem is, don't be surprised if tomorrow somebody else comes along with another worldview, another religious worldview and trumps yours, you know, and then sends you packing. Again, as, as Robert says here in his, in his essay, he said, it is, it is past time for our politicians to stop masquerading beliefs as facts. It is past time for them to strip off the facade of neutrality. We've already seen the fulfillment of Lenin's vision of a world without religions, you know, that John Lenin sang about as well. Then This is Lenin, L-E-N-I-N, the communist, all right? Um, Vladimir Lenin, the guy that started the Soviet Union, as opposed to John Lennon, L-E-N-N-O-N. 
So he says, we've seen the fulfillment of Vladimir Lenin, the commie, um, his vision of a world without religions, and it looks like the array of deadly totalitarian systems that we have once relegated to the trash, le- trash heap of history. We are all religious. Democracy dies in the darkness of those who deny this fact, and they are the ones who silence it. All right? So again, I think that, again, this guy, if you want to look up some other stuff he might have written, Stephen Roberts, he's a United States Army chaplain, and the name of his article here was, Everybody Has Religious Beliefs, Some People Just Deny It. And, you know, by, by looking at some of his ideas here that I think are spot on, um, the idea is is to, you know, kind of unmask this big lie out there that is held by, you know, a lot of people who get themselves into positions of, of authority saying, look, I am not a religious person. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. You know, I don't believe, I don't have a church. You know, I just believe in what I can, you know, prove logically and rationally and so on, which, again, they tried doing that during the French Revolution, and the result was the guillotine. And um, and then, you know, other other secular movements, you know, like the, the communist movement, you know, the former Soviet Union, you see how that worked out. You know, old, old, well, Vladimir Lenin, you know, his thing didn't, didn't do so hot. And then, again, the way this gets popularized is, you know, like, you know, guys like John Lennon. And so, again, you know, we played this a little bit in the first part of the, of the broadcast. I think we'll just play it again here. So we can see John Lennon, L-E-N-N-O-N, um, is basically parroting um, Vladimir Lenin, L-E-N-N-I-N, of a world without religion. And that somehow or another, that's going to bring about some kind of, 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 of utopia. Well, the thing is, is again, and, and we, we do address this you know, quite openly in the, the, the first half of the program, is yeah, there have been people in the name of, I'm just going to pick on Christianity here because I can't speak for everybody else. But in the name of Christianity, people have done bad things in the name of Christianity, but they're on their own for that. You know, again, the, the, if someone's going to go and, and kill or maim or attack or whatever and, and say, Jesus told me to do it, they're wrong. 
wrong. You know, if they said, you know, I I found in the gospel or I found in the writings of St. Paul that, you know, I was supposed to go over and, you know, you know, set a bomb off in this place and kill these people. Well, it ain't in there. And it's not in the catechism. It's not in the teaching of the church. Again, um, St. Augustine has his, 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 his just war theory that um, can, can guide us in that, you know, if there's a time when un- unfortunately everything else has failed and there's no other option but to go to war, um, the idea behind just war theory is to make sure that we're not just going to war willy-nilly and that, you know, the, the, the damage and the casualties are kind of kept to a minimum because, you know, we, nobody nobody wants to go to war over anything anyway if we can avoid it. But the fact is, though, is that, you know, you have people that are saying, well, no, I just believe in tolerance and diversity and open-mindedness and, and religions get in the way of all that. Well, just remember that your tolerance, diversity, and open-mindedness, those are doctrines and those are dogmas. That is a, that is a worldview and that is a religion because, again, if someone says they're going to be, I'm going to be, my, my world view is I think the world should be tolerant and, and diverse and open-minded and multicultural and all that kind of stuff. Well, then that is a world, that, that's a worldview which is a religion. That is a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held with ardor and faith. And um, that's every bit as much religion as Christianity or Judaism or anything else. And so again, I think that it's, you know, kind of a time that that, that gets unmasked and um, that, that you know, we start reading kind of more stuff by this guy like, like Stephen Roberts, um, you know, chaplain in the United States Army, that's really kind of done a very good job of unmasking that whole thing. And, you know, that, that way, when you hear this nonsense from, from, you know, from senators or congressmen or, or you know, someone on, you know, a judge or a, a college professor or somebody at work or someone at the donut shop or whatever, you know, when they're sitting there hooting and hollering about how, you know, well, we seem to get religion out of everything. Religion is in everything, whether we like it or not. Um, what, what they're saying is they're not saying they want to get rid of religion. What they're saying is they want to get rid of Christianity. That's what they're saying. And most of the want to get rid of Catholicism. They want to get rid of anything that's that's going to claim to have some kind of a, a greater moral claim on their behavior than with them just doing whatever they want. And so, again, you know, if you have a, a Judeo-Christian person that says, well, no, I, I believe in the Ten Commandments and I believe in the in the Beatitudes and I believe in the spiritual corporal works of mercy, that's a religious worldview. No problem. You know, just call it what it is. But then when you have other folks that are coming in and saying, well, you know, I feel, and that's usually the operative word, not that they've thought it out. They saw a lot of feelings. That's where the ardor comes in. Um, you know, I feel that, you know, we should be taking care of the children and helping the poor and the elderly and so on. Well, good for you. But that, but again, once you get, once you start using words like ought and should, you've crossed the line from science and, and from, from empirical data into the world of morality and into the world of religion. And so again, people that think that they can, you know, just kind of, you know, claim to have some kind of moral high ground because they're neutral or they're secular, it just doesn't work. And hopefully in these past few minutes here on Double-Edged Sword, we've kind of made that case. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in. Just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. You can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword and also the One Body Program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you want to go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you want to listen to again. Also, check out our Donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. 
And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio. And we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.